Good morning, everyone, and welcome to our morning service. Good to see you folks here today, that you have taken time to come out to a morning service on the Lord's Day. For those of you who are joining us on Zoom, we welcome you as well. Uh, this is the day we welcome uh, Jacob and Bernadette Taggett. Uh, Jacob will be speaking uh, morning and evening, but we welcome them. Uh, they've had a safe journey up, and we're thankful for that. Always good to see uh, Jacob and his new wife, Bernadette. And I would like you to turn to the book of Psalms, and that is Psalm 34, for our call to worship, the call to worship, a time where we try to leave everything uh, that might distract us and just concentrate on the Word of God and God's presence with us and the message we have uh, for us today. So that's Psalm 34, and I'll be reading from verse 13 to the end of that chapter. Psalm 34, verse 13. Keep thy tongue from evil, and thy lips from speaking guile. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous, and his ears are open unto their cry. The face of the Lord is against them that do evil, to cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. The righteous cry, and the Lord hears, and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart, and saves such as be of a contrite spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones, not one of them is broken. Evil shall slay the wicked, and they that hate the righteous shall be desolate. The Lord redeemeth the soul of his servants, and none of them that trust in him shall be desolate. We do welcome Jacob uh, Taggett with us this morning. He's going to come and uh, read the scripture and lead us if you, in prayer, if you will, brother. Good morning. It's great to be with you all again. Before getting into our scripture reading, which is James 3, you can start turning there. I also wanted to thank everyone who has been supporting my wife and I uh, through prayers and who gave us little cards or gifts. We truly were blessed, even though we do not know or live close to you, <laughs> any of you. Uh, it, very, it really was so sweet of you. So thank you for your support and your uh, fellowship and your your Christianly love, so thank you. James 3, let us prepare our hearts for the word of God. My brethren, be not many masters, knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation. For in many things we, we offend all. If any man offend not in word, the same is a, ma is a perfect man, and able also, also to bridle the whole body. Behold, we put bits in the horses' mouths, that they may obey us, and we turn about their whole body. Behold also the ships, which though they be so great, and are driven of fierce winds, yet are they turned about with a very small helm, whithersoever the governor listeth. Even so the tongue is a little member, and boasteth great things. Behold how great a matter a little fire kindleth, and the tongue is a fire. A world of iniquity, so is the tongue among our members, that it defileth the whole body, and setteth on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire of hell. For every kind of beasts, and of birds, and of serpents, and of things in the sea, is tamed, and hath been tamed of mankind. But the tongue can no man tame, it is an unruly evil, 
full of deadly poison, therewith bless we God, even the Father, and therewith curse we men, which are made after the, simili after the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceedeth blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not so to be. Doth a fountain send forth at the same place sweet water and bitter? Can the fig tree, my brethren, bear olive berries, either a vine, figs? So can no fountain both yield salt water and fresh. Who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? Let him show out a good conversation, his works with meekness of wisdom. But if ye have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not, and lie not against the truth. This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, devilish. For where envying and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. Amen. Let us pray. Father God, be with us this morning as we seek to praise you, as we seek to praise your name. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. You are our help in all sufferings and trials and throughout the course of this life, O oh God. May everyone here remember that always, O oh God. Lord, may the meditations of our minds and our hearts, Lord, and the words of our lips be pleasing unto you, unto you this morning in our prayers, in our thoughts, in our songs and hymns, Lord, and in this teaching today, Lord. May we honor you, may we bless you, O God. If by the word of your mouth you can cause the universe to come into existence, if by your word you can cause man to be formed of the dust, put your breath into our bodies and give us life. If you can cause a valley of dry bones to come alive and praise you. If you can cause a camel to go through the eye of a needle, Lord. We know that you can do all of these things. You have done these things, Lord, and we know that you can move mountains, Lord, and so we know that you can, this very morning, give us new hearts, hearts of flesh, with your word, with your law written upon our hearts, so that we do not have to go to our brothers and say, Know the Lord. For every one of us shall already know you and shall be praising you with our very lives. Lord, this morning I pray that you would come powerfully to transform our hearts, to renew our affections before you. Lord, we are like Isaiah. We are a people of unclean lips in, in the midst of a people with unclean lips, Lord, but like Isaiah, you have purified us. You have come to us and by your means you have offered salvation, redemption, the remission of sins, Lord. We have all of this freely in Christ. 
Thank you, O God. Lord, bless the service this morning. Bless the offering, Lord, this morning. I pray that you would fill our hearts with thanksgiving. Fill our hearts with joy and peace from the God, from you, O God. And pray for those who are sick, who are weary, who are tired. I pray for those who are wrestling with sin. Pray for those who are doubting you, O God, doubting the faith. I pray for those who are seeking your faith. Lord, you are a great God and you are able to do all we ask and more. You are our Father to us. If we ask for food or an egg, you do not give us a scorpion. So come now, bless our time together. Be with us. Give us yourself, O oh God. Give us your wisdom. Give us hearts that, that long for your the glory of your name. Lord, give us hearts that hunger and thirst for righteousness. May your word be praised this, this morning. In all that we do, we pray. Amen. James chapter 3, verse 1, my brethren, Be not many masters, that is, teachers, knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation. Verse 6, the tongue is a fire, a world of, un of iniquity or unrighteousness. Verse 8, but the tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. I am preaching today's sermon with a specific emphasis on the need for us to be careful in how we use our tongues, how we control or fail to control our tongues. And I wanted to preach this here today for at least two reasons. For one, I've just started marriage. And I can use this sermon as much as anyone else here. But I also want it to be a lesson for each one of you to keep in mind for yourselves and how you use your speech, but also to keep in mind as you're seeking and praying for a full-time pastor. Such a man must be able to bridle his tongue. He must have the wisdom to speak up when he ought to, and the wisdom to stay silent when the time calls for it. First Timothy says, among other qualifications, that an overseer must be above reproach, self-controlled, respectable, gentle, not quarrelsome, well thought of by outsiders. Can someone truly be qualified for this role if they cannot tame their tongue? So please keep that in mind. Learn for yourselves, but also for the sake of this church and for the sake of your witness. So James chapter 3, what is, what is the context here? Although James is well known for being somewhat hard to trace in terms of his argument, the structure of his letter. He's kind of like Proverbs, the book of Proverbs, just throwing out, it kind of seems, it feels like he's throwing out random bits of wisdom here, there, here and there. But he, he does have a progression, and, and I can't trace it all out this morning, but here in chapter 3 and even going into chapter 4, there's a progression in which he is applying what he has been talking about directly to his readers' lives. 
Chapter 1, verse 27 says, A religion that is pure and undefiled before God. Um, maybe Religion that is pure and undefiled before God. Yes, <laughs> sorry. Is to is this to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction, and to keep himself unspotted from the world. It's a religion with an active, fruit-producing faith, and a religion that is holy, unstained from the world. Chapter one, verse twenty-two. But be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. In chapter two. Verses 14 to 26 talks about James talking about faith and works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. So our faith is living and it is active as it produces works, but it is also undefiled, holy as our God is holy. This is what we are called to, and this holiness incorporates every aspect of our life, from our deeds to our speech. And it even incorporates our thoughts and our desires. This is what it means to love your Lord with all of your heart. And as much as I want to focus on our speech today, and as much as James focuses on the dangers of the tongue, my first point this morning is this. To fix your speech, we first need to make sure that our heart is in order. If you're a keen reader, you'll know that James only bring this up afterwards. We're doing it a bit backwards today. In fact, I'm going to look at verses 11 through 18 first, and then we'll go back to verses 1 through 10. Because the words that we flow out of us, from our hearts, the words, the words that flow out of us come from our hearts. If we're polishing up our language and our speech without ever addressing the issues of it in our hearts, then even if our speech appears to be right and proper, our words are just going to be approved in a worldly sense. But they will never be pleasing to God. God needs to give you a new heart first, to put his law on your hearts first. Then your language can become clean and undefiled. So in our passages, in our passage, James 3, verses 11 and 12 Doth the fountain send forth, at the same time, at the same place, sweet water and bitter? Can the fig tree, my brethren, bear olive berries, either a vine, figs? So can no fountain both yield salt water and fresh. Jesus, Jesus himself taught this in Matthew 12. Verses 33 to 37, where he also makes a specific reference to our speech. Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, talking to the Pharisees. How can you speak good when you are evil? How can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. He goes on to say, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words, you will be justified, and by your words, you will be condemned. So the fruit in our lives reveals the state of our hearts. And since the words we say are an expression of this fruit, Jesus tells us that on the day of judgment, everyone will have to give an account for everything we say, for every careless word spoken in anger, exasperation, stressful situation, frustration, out of retaliation, every word. And we have to ask ourselves, how are we using our words? Are they condemning us? Or are they justifying us? The context for Jesus' words in Matthew 12 
is that there were those who were accusing Jesus not of using the Holy Spirit to heal the sick, but he was, they, were using, they were accusing him of using the power of Beelzebub, of Satan. They were blaspheming with their words against the Holy Spirit by their accusations. In this way, their words were condemning them. Are your words the ones of the words of one who is justified? Are we justified by our works? Are we justified by our words? We are justified in Christ. We are saved in Christ. But our words shall show that we are justified. Romans 10 teaches us that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified. And with the mouth, one confesses and is saved. Are you confessing with your mouth that Jesus is Lord? Or are you denying Christ in front of others? Matthew 10. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. So you can see there is a way in which our words can condemn us or justify us. What do your words say about your beliefs? James flows from this to asking, what does your life say about your beliefs? Verses 13 through 18 fleshes this out. Verse 13, if you are wise, if you have understanding, let this be made known by your good conduct. Your good conduct reveals yourself not in a boasting manner, but in the meekness of wisdom. Out of jealousy, this is verse 14, and selfish ambition, we boast about ourselves, exaggerating how good we are. But this isn't what wisdom from above teaches us. As James later says in chapter 4, we are to remember that if we humble ourselves before the Lord, he shall exalt us. That passage in Matthew I quoted earlier in chapter 12 is followed up by a similar passage in Matthew 12, and if you can, I'd ask you to turn to it. Uh, Matthew 15. Try and keep a finger in James 3, though. Matthew chapter 15. We'll start at verse 10. I believe it's page 1009 in your Bibles, the Pew Bibles. <clears throat> and he called the multitude and said unto them, Hear and understand, not that which goeth into the mouth defiles the man, a man, but that which cometh out of the mouth, this defileth a man. Then came his disciples and said unto him, Knowest thou that the Pharisees were offended? After they heard this saying, jump down to chapter 15, or verse 15, then answered Peter and said unto him, Declare unto us this parable, explain this to us, right? And Jesus said, Are ye also yet without understanding? Do you not yet understand that whatsoever entereth in at the mouth goes into the belly and is cast out into the drought. But those things which proceed out of the mouth come forth from the heart, and they defile the man. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false, false witness, blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man. But, eat, but to eat with unwashed hands defileth not a man. It is what proceeds from the heart that defiles the man. Now why do you think the Pharisees were so offended at what Jesus was teaching here? It is not what goes into the mouth that defiles something someone, but what comes out of it. It's because they were so focused on their ceremonial laws. They had these rites of purification and cleansing. And Jesus' point was 
that their rules and regulations, they actually went above and beyond what the Old Testament laws taught in order that the outside of the bodies would be clean. But their hearts were still far from God. This is why Jesus so often accuses them of being hypocrites. They washed the outside of the cup, but the inside was filthy. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For ye are unlike ye, ye are like unto whited sepulchres, whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear beautiful outward, but are within full of dead men's bones and of all uncleanness. They were following the commandments of men, and it was leading many astray into a dead religion, where they were outwardly clean, but inwardly defiled. But do you remember how James characterizes a religion? It is pure, and it is undefiled. Inside and out, it is a religion that cares for those in affliction, and a religion that is unstained from the world. Likewise, our passage today in chapter 3 ends with his reminder that wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. This is the sort of good conduct that we are called to as Christians, especially as we face sufferings of different kinds, as James' readers were, we need to be peaceable. We need to be gentle. We need to be open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. Let our speech and our actions reflect this. Otherwise, we end up with what James continues on in the next chapter, in chapter 4. Quarrels and fights, friendship with the world, brothers speaking evil against brothers in verse 11. This must not be so. If the church of Christ cannot be united, then who can? Is it not we who have the God of peace, the God of reconciliation, the God of forgiveness who calls us to forgive? Are we not called to be a light in the world, to not share its passions of envy and bitterness and slander? Are we not also called to be undefiled? Verse 18, chapter 3. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. How do we apply this? I'm going to be brief here, but when a brother or sister disagrees with you, Remember that the same God who gave you his image also gave him or her his image too. The same Holy Spirit that dwells within you and has guided you throughout your life is the same one that dwells in the one you are talking to as well. Let us be humble. Let us reflect on Second Timothy 2. He's talking to Timothy, who has a particular role in the church, but it can still broadly apply to us as general members of the church. Paul calls us to come alongside brothers and sisters in the faith in pursuing righteousness, faith, love, and peace, while fleeing those youthful passions that cause you to quarrel. Verses 22 to 26 Flee also youthful lust, but follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Avoid those foolish and ignorant controversies. Those cause you to quarrel. Once God answers the prayer of this church, and he will, you have to keep in mind that your pastor has to have has a, your pastor has a special calling from the word of God to be a, the servant of the Lord in verse 24 there second chapter second Timothy chapter 2 verse 24 and the servant of the Lord must not strive that is must not be quarrelsome 
but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient, in meekness instructing those that oppose themselves. If God, her adventurer, will give them repentance, the acknowledgement, to the acknowledging of the truth, and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who are taken captive by him at his will. Why be kind? Why be patient? Why be gentle? This isn't just for the servant of the Lord. This isn't just for your pastor. Verses 25 and 26, because through such godly conduct, God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth, and that they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. Do you desire that from those that you are disagreeing with? Do you love them? Let's continue now with supplying the scriptures and the notion that our religion is to be undefiled and unlike the world by talking more specifically about our speech. As James warns us in the section of this passage that I skipped over, verses 1 through 10, really 1 through 12, remember God cares about our whole lives on earth and desires complete holiness and obedience to him. I've already mentioned before on the positive side that this includes confessing Jesus as Lord. But James' emphasis here is really in the negative use of our speech, what the damage that it can deal. And that is why we have to tame our tongues. Chapter 3, verse 1 my brethren, be not many masters, knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation. Why shouldn't many of us become teachers? Because teachers are held to a higher standard, and not everyone lives up to that. They have a higher potential to negatively impact more people. And more drastically. They can do more damage to more people. They're given a platform. They're claiming a degree of authority. People tend to trust that. Although we know that we are meant to be Bereans. We are supposed to hold everything that I say to, to account to the scriptures, right? But it's also so common for us as fallen humans, as sinful humans to stumble. Especially in what we say. Verse 2, for we all stumble, this is the ESV, for we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man. Also, able also to bridle his whole body. If any man offend not in word, the same is a perfect man. And able also to bridle the whole body. How many of you are perfect? How many of you have regretted what you said at one time or another? Or how about this? How many have you regretted not speaking up when you should have? The latter one is the ditch that I more naturally lean to. Reflect on your own tendencies so that you can master your body to the glory of God. Desire to bridle your whole body. Pray to God that he would help you in this, trusting that he hears your prayers for holiness. And then do the work prayerfully, but tame your tongue that you can control your whole body. That's what James is suggesting in verse 3, if we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. If you control your mouth, you can control the whole body. That's why if you're not stumbling in what you say, you have control over your whole body. Let this be an incentive to you. Control your tongue that you might control your whole body. James uses language 
from horseback riding. He talks about bits and, and bridles. Sometimes we read these words and we, we can have a faint idea, idea, but we lose the force of the metaphor by not actually picturing what he's talking about. And I'm sure not all of us are riding horses anymore, so, so frequently anyways. A bridle is a piece of equipment that goes around the head of a horse, a series of straps and, and buckles. And part of the bridle is, is the bit, which includes a mouthpiece that goes into the, the, mouth, the horse's mouth. The important part is that the, the bit and the bridle, these, these are both attached to the reins that the rider holds. And by controlling the reins, pulling on, those pull on the bit and the bridle, and so you control the head of the horse. And if you're controlling the head of the horse, then you control the horse, generally speaking. <clears throat> and this isn't even the first time James mentions bridling our tongues. In chapter 1, he has already warned about controlling our speech with this language. Chapter 1, verse 19. Wherefore, my beloved brethren... Let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Wouldn't the world be such a better place? If everyone took that advice, and it's not easy to apply it. Verse 26 of chapter 1, he expands more exactly about what being slow to speak might mean and might, what it might look like. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, again, that connection between the tongue and one's heart, this person's religion is worthless. If you are not bridling your tongue, then your religion has the stain of the world upon it. God purifies us. He cleanses us, washes us clean, clothes us in robes of white, our sins died on that cross for, with Christ. Let's live that out. We are no longer enslaved to our sins. We are no longer slaves to our tongues. In the same fashion, although our tongues are so small compared to the rest of our body, James compares them to the rudder of a ship or the helm of a ship. Basically, the rudder was at the back and the base of the ship and it was, it was adjustable, kind of like a plank of wood that flaps. And by controlling that, you can control the whole ship. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. They are turned about with a very small helm, as the King James puts it. Either way, the emphasis is on one small piece being used by the operator to control something far greater. Our tongues have great destructive power if we are not careful. Just a small member. Uh, I was talking to my wife about the title of the sermon again. <laughs> And uh, she actually looked up what one might title this kind of sermon, and they said, the, the meanest member in the church. And it's talking about the tongue. <laughs> How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life and set on fire by hell, by Gehenna. This is strong, serious language. It's an association with worldliness. It's an association with the fires of hell. Our tongues, if we aren't careful, can ruin our lives. And if we're not careful, they can do a lot of damage to someone else's as well. Now, we, I know we all know how harmful our words can be. We're taught this growing up, and we've seen how hurtful our words are to others. And more likely than not, we've all been on the receiving end as well. 
feeling the sting of someone lashing out at us. Even still, I want to drive this point home for the rest of our time this morning. Let me detail some of the ways in which James highlights how exactly our words can be used for evil. And how the other scriptures talk about it as well. In this way, I want us to apply James' warnings to our own lives. To believe that our tongue can set the world on fire. And to seek God that we might never utter a single wayward, careless word. So what are some ways that we can abuse our speech? Number one, let's all agree not. Let's endeavor not to speak hastily. Not to speak too quickly, carelessly, or without thought. James 1.19, let us be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Do not let your anger feed your words. Allow what you hear to inform what you say and when you say it. Give others opportunity to speak. Let us imitate God's character, as described in Exodus 34, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, or as the King James says, long-suffering. In the Hebrew, it's actually just long nose. It's, a, it's an idiom. We have to be careful lest in our anger we say something we regret. Do not feed your anger. Proverbs 30, verses 32 to 33, If thou hast done foolishly in lifting up thyself, or if thou hast thought evil, Lay thine hand upon thy mouth. Surely the churning of milk brings, brings forth butter, and the wringing of the nose brings forth blood. So the forcing of wrath brings forth strife. You press milk, you get curds, and you can make butter. You, you press your nose hard enough, blood's going to come, hard, come out. In the same way, sure enough, if you force out your anger. If you linger on it, if you feed on it, if you do not take that to the cross, strife is going to come. You will reap what you sow. That verse from Proverbs brings up another way our speech condemns us. We lift up ourselves. We boast in ourselves. We give in to our pride to either claim that we are better than we really are which results in a lie. Or we fail to give God the glory for what good we actually have. Every good gift comes from God. No man can boast, neither in their skills, their morality, their appearance, or their stature, and certainly not in their salvation. If we are boasting, let us boast in the Lord. I came from a, a town of roughly... 300 people. And what I've learned as I move from town to town, and I'm living in Toronto now, um, there's always someone better than you. <laughs> if you think you're good at someone in a town of 300 people, you have to check yourself. First of all, because God gave you those gifts in the first place, to glorify him and to be used for his good and, and for his purposes. Um, but also because someone else has your number. You can be good, sure, and we, could, we should strive for excellence, but don't let that go to your head. Saul was head and shoulders above the rest, but it was David whose heart was like God's. And he was a far superior king. I mean, as Christians, we know that our tomorrows aren't even promised. Again, we're looking at James chapter 4, 13 to 16. Sure, we plan our steps, and this is in Proverbs. Sure, we plan our steps, but it is God who establishes them. James chapter 4, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. You do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. 
Instead you ought to say, If the Lord wills, we will live, and do this or that. Verse 16, As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Let us trust our Lord for our tomorrows, for what shall come. Let us do what is right in front of us. If we cannot say for certain what, tomorrow, what comes tomorrow, we should also be extremely cautious in uttering oaths or vows. They have their places. Um, I do think the marriage vow is important. And, but the scriptures give plenty examples to warn us here. James 5.12, But above all things, my brethren, swear not, neither by heaven, neither by the earth, neither by any other oath, but let your yeah be yeah, your nay, nay. Lest ye fall into condemnation, let your yes be yes and your no be no. This seems to recall Deuteronomy 23, verses 21 to 23. If you make a vow to the Lord your God, you shall not delay fulfilling it. But the Lord your God will surely require it of you. And you will be guilty of sin. But if you refrain from vowing, you will not be guilty of sin. You shall be careful to do what has passed your lips. For you have voluntarily vowed to the Lord your God what you have promised with your mouth. When you give your word, follow through with it. But also have the wisdom to know when not to make such a vow. The scriptures are full of these kinds of examples. Um, in the book of Judges, chapter 11, there was a great judge by the name of Jephthah. He made a rash vow, promising to the Lord that if he got the victory over the Ammonites, he would offer whatever came to greet him from his house once he returned. I don't know what he was thinking. <laughs> I... But that's how he ends up sacrificing his only child, his daughter. Perhaps better known is the story of Herod and, and the daughter of Herodias. She dances for him and he promises her whatever she might ask. So she asked her mother what she would like. And since John the Baptist had been condemning Herod and Herodias for their relationship because Herodias was actually married to his brother at the time. The daughter of Herodias goes to her mother and asks, well, what should I ask for? And she asks for the head of John the Baptist. Let us not be so rash in our vows, but also may we utter every word as though it were a promise at the same time. When we say something, do it. Yet let your yes be yes and your no be no. This also means that our actions must reflect our speech. Just as faith without works is dead, we beware getting into a habit of praying for someone without ever taking tangible steps to help them. So James chapter 2, verse 12, Speak and act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. Do not say to someone, go in peace. Be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body. What good is that? These are different ways that our speech can be abused if it does not accord with our actions. James 5.9, another way that we can sin with our mouths. Do not grumble against one another, brothers. Grudge not one against another, brethren, lest ye be condemned. Behold, the judge standeth before the door. Do not grumble against one another. When you grumble, you're making your God out to be far less than he is. We ought to be an example to others in suffering well. And I'm not saying that this is easy. But also in having joyful patience. And I'm not saying that we have to have a smile through our suffering. Christ wept in his journey to the cross. 
in that garden. But you shouldn't despair and you shouldn't grumble, you shouldn't complain. We should not be like the Israelites who desired the fruit of Egypt when God was giving them food from the heavens every morning. They wanted to go back to Egypt where they were in slavery when God was going before them, promising to a land of promise and plenty to defeat all of their enemies before them. By our words, let us believe and show that we believe that God can redeem evil for evil for good. That is the perspective that we should have in our sufferings, in our trials. Let our words not suggest that God is not with his people, that God does not do what he has promised. Our God is compassionate and merciful. And what about the content of our speech? Why were Moses or Elihu in the book of Job or the prophet Jeremiah and Paul, why were they all so effective in their speeches? Each one of them had, uh, from a human perspective, from a humanly sense, a disadvantage. Whether it was their young age or troubles with speech or a lack of eloquence in their words, stuttering. But they spoke the truth with their words. And that's my encouragement. Their wisdom was not the wisdom of man, but the wisdom of God. The wisdom of man says a lot, but conveys very little. Ecclesiastes 5, a fool's voice comes with many words. Instead, they spoke the truth no matter how foolish it sounded to those around them. Jeremiah and Paul both suffered greatly because of the truth that they proclaimed. They, they were both in prison. At the same time, likewise, concerning the content of our speech, let no corrupting talk enter into your speech. Ephesians 4.29 Rather only speak that which is edifying, that which builds one another up, that it may minister grace unto, unto the hearers. By our words are we administering grace. Colossians 3, 8, But now ye also put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. If you're cursing with your mouth, swearing with it. You really have to ask yourself why that is. Oftentimes, expletives, swear words, oftentimes they can reveal the grumblings and complaints of one's heart. You cannot control them because you are not satisfied in every situation in Christ. And verse 9 Colossians 3, lie not to one another, seeing that ye have put off the old man with his deeds. In Christ, the old man, the old sinful flesh within us is crucified. It is dead. Let, let it have no more dominion in your bodies. For your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. That is who you are in Christ. Lastly, there is a group of people that can ruin a whole company. It was referenced in that last verse. The, the scoffer, the whisperer, the gossip, the slanderer, and the liar. It is fitting to close with these because they are perhaps the most common. You'll find these throughout the book of Proverbs and in every workplace, from the barbershop to the construction site to the magazines on the racks, every classroom, every government, every factory, every village, every town, every city. All of humanity wrestles with such insidious 
sins. Proverbs 16, verse 27, a worthless man plots evil, and his speech is like a scorching fire. Sounds a lot like James, doesn't it? And the next verse, a dishonest man, a liar, spread strife, and a whisperer, a gossip, separates close friends. Likewise, the false teachers, the wolves in the church, are characterized by their lies concerning true doctrine, and they love to slander those who proclaim the truth. Be wary of those. In the letter to Titus, older woman, I'm not saying that, that it is their particular sin, but we all, have, we all have our proclivities, our tendencies. Paul specifically warns older women against being false accusers or slanderers. Do we know how much damage one single rumor can do to a church community. Be careful what you say and who hears it. If something is told in confidence, use extreme discretion if you ever have to reveal it to someone else. Proverbs 12, verse 20, deceit is in the heart of those who devise evil. But those who plan, have, plan peace have joy. Or lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who act faithfully are his delight. Proverbs 12, verse 22. Let us remember, as brothers and sisters, that the, devil, that the devil was the father of lies. If we partake in lies, we are not doing any of us a service. We are actually advancing the devil's ends, not that he shall have victory. In Revelation 22, the severity of lying is revealed. Verse 15, outside the kingdom of God, the beautiful city of Zion, there are the dogs and sorcerers, the sexually, the sexually immoral, the murderers and idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. Brothers and sisters, 2,000 years ago, the word of God became flesh. Jesus Christ and our sins with him were nailed to a tree. Jesus Christ became a curse for us that we would be dead to sin and alive to Christ. That his church would become an experience of the kingdom of God on earth. God's people, worshiping God with God's very presence in our midst, in the temples of our holy bodies. We are called to be living sacrifices. This is our spiritual worship. Not to be conformed to this world, but rather be transformed by the renewal of your minds that by testing you might discern what is the will of God, what is perfect, what is good, what is acceptable. Brothers and sisters, at least one aspect of the will of God in your life, that's a popular question, what, what is the will of God for our lives? At least one aspect of that is that you tame your tongue. God desires for you to control your tongue. To live and conduct yourselves as you truly are in Christ. Dead to sin. Alive in Christ. But more than your tongue, he desires your hearts to be right before him. And if you can get that right, then the tongue shall follow. That you would be salt and light to the nations. Let us pray to that end. Father God, this morning... May the preaching of your word not fall on deaf ears. We know that you alone can circumcise our hearts. Lord, let every one of us here, especially those who do not know you, who, who are unsaved, Lord, if there is any here, help them to pray that you would circumcise their hearts. So that, you, so that we will love the Lord our God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, that we might live. That we might have eternal life with you, O God, forever and ever. Amen.